Good morning, church. They all sounded pretty this morning. Your uh, offering of praise. There's a moment I was kind of surrounded by the sound, and it was it was lovely. It was lovely. It's good to see you all. It's good to see you to, to join together and worship uh, as a family of faith is always a gift. Um, I want to go ahead and uh, release our kids for Revolution Kids. This is for those kindergarten through fifth grade. You guys can go on upstairs. I think we've got Debbie. Debbie's back. Hi, Debbie. She's back. I think Trish as well is going up there. So you guys have fun. And Jackie, too. She's going, too. All right. All right. Will you all join me in a word of prayer? God, we ask that you would just prepare our hearts uh, in this moment as we turn to open your word. Um, for the word that you have prepared this morning for us to hear, would you give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, and the courage to respond? And when the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, we are continuing this morning in our new teaching series talking about stewardship, uh, and that's a really churchy word that we like to use. You might immediately think financial stewardship and giving to the church, but what we've been talking about is that it's, it's really more than that, that it's really a part of our whole lives, our whole offering, really our whole discipleship of responding to what God has first done for us and offering all that we have. Here in our membership vows, the way we kind of articulate that is saying that we offer, you can go ahead, Brenda, this is warming up. We offer our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Kind of this all-encompassing way to respond to, this is what it means to offer all that we have for the furtherance of God's kingdom here and for the glory of God. And really, this is, you know, kind of in doing this, in this, in this process, talking about our whole lives and, and responding in this way, it's about our discipleship, but, but this way in which we kind of respond with, with generosity or acts of surrender or putting our trust in God, it, it's really this process that, that serves to make us holy. That's not why we do it, but in sort of going through these practices and surrendering and, and offering to God what we have and trusting that, that God will take it and multiply it and that it will be enough, uh, there's growth that happens when we do that. Right? There, there's growth that happens, and we call that another big churchy word that we learned last week is, is sanctification. Right? Scripture calls this offering ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice. A holy and living sacrifice. And that means it's part of our offering our whole lives, all that we have, who we are, and, and also that process makes us holy. You know, I was thinking about it this past week, and I don't know if you've had an experience where, you know, there are particular seasons, I guess, in, in my life where I have really felt like my faith grew sort of just really fast or, or really, really in a profound or deep way. Um, and for me, one of those seasons, and you've heard me talk about it before, uh, was working on staff in college at one of our camp and retreat centers, Camp Lucon. 
We have some others here that have been to Lucon, have worked there. It's where I met my husband, felt my call to ministry. There was a period of three years there as a young adult where I felt like I just grew tremendously uh, as a Christian leader. And it was really one of those situations where I showed up and I, you offer all that you have. You know, you offer your time and, and your prayers for the, for the mission of camp, for the kids that come. You offer your presence. I, I offered the gifts that I thought I had. Uh, but really, it, that was where I, a lot of things were revealed to me, the gifts I didn't even know I had, gifts maybe of, of teaching or working with kids or doing some outdoor adventure type stuff and, and working on that staff and that really intentional community. I offered my service, right? Anyone that works on staff anywhere from cleaning toilets to cleaning the pool, right? So much goes on behind the scene to make that run. And you live there. You're there, you know. Aside from maybe some weekends away, you are there 24-7 on summer staff. It is the closest I've ever experienced to that kind of intentional Christian community, nightly worship on staff. And man, did I see God show up and work in some amazing ways. Yeah. A testimony. That's right. That's right. That's what we're here to do, right? And so I know that you also have had experience like, experiences like this, where those moments where you show up and you offer what you have. You don't think it's very much in the moment, but similar to the story we heard last week about Sarah Crosby and her testimony where she, she offered herself as a way of necessity, 300 people showed up to her small group that was supposed to only be 20, and she said, well, I need to offer these people a word. <laughs> And she preached, even though she wasn't exactly permitted to, she did what was needed in the moment. And how often does that happen with God, right? That we don't always have to feel like we're prepared or we know what we're going to say or we know what we're going to do or how we're going to respond right in the moment. But when we surrender and trust God and, and trust that the Holy Spirit will show up, God can use that offering. And all throughout those three years, working on staff, those three summers, I saw God show up in just incredible ways. In my friends, as they stepped out in faith and, and you know, taught, you know, and taught kids about Jesus, I saw it happen in the lives of children who would come to camp and really learn how much God loved them for the first time, like really almost get it. I don't know if we can ever really get it. But for the first time, some of these kids were like, I can't believe God loves me. That's amazing. That's incredible. I saw kids step out of their comfort zones and, like, jump off cliffs on the zip line, right? I mean, God just showed up in amazing ways. And where I felt, it was very safe, I promise. I was trained <laughs> on how to send these kids on the zip line. It's where I felt my own call to ministry. And I thought, in what world, <laughs> in what job could I have that could be any sweeter than showing up and teaching people about the love of Jesus? I'm, I know that you may have had seasons in your life where you've had this kind of growth, where you've offered your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And maybe, you've, maybe it was an Emmaus walk. Maybe it was a retreat. Maybe it was also working at a camp, because I know some of you did that. Maybe it was a mission trip. Some of you have shared testimony about how you went on a mission trip and left home and had that different experience, and God changed your life because of how you experienced God's love and grace in that moment. Stewardship goes so far beyond only our financial gifts that we can offer. It's our whole lives. In response to God's goodness and love for us, we offer all that we have because this mission is worth it. Yeah. 
God's kingdom coming to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about, yes, a big churchy word of stewardship, but really how it is that we become these holy and living sacrifices right here at Revolution Church, where we've committed to be this family together and what it means in our life together that we offer what we have as way of necessity, as we saw last week, and some of you did fill out the serve form, and I'm so grateful for you. I gave you a card. Well, you can pick up a card on the way out, and it's a way for you in the next couple weeks to be prayerfully considering how you can offer your prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness here among this family of faith so that we can witness to the love of Jesus. And what we say is join Jesus in the revolution of transforming lives through teaching and service right here in Louisville. That's what we're on a mission to do. And as a part of this family, you all are all invited to be a part of that, to offer what you have, because we really are better and stronger together in that sense, right? So I thought a fun way to do it, maybe a different way to talk about stewardship this year is to do it in conversation with the saints, all leading up to the end of the month on October 30th, where we will celebrate All Saints Day. And we remember kind of the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, these people that have informed our faith and and traditions in the church and, and still teach us today. Whether it's historic saints that I'm teaching about or whether it's people in your life, your mom, your, your grandmother, your, your uncle, your friend. Maybe they've gone before you, but they've set the pace, they've set the stage, an example of faith that still informs you today. We are a part of this great cloud of witnesses, the communion of saints, we call it. And in fact, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'm excited about the 30th. I love all saints because, in fact, we are called to be living saints. We are a part of that communion of saints as well. And church should be a house of sinners and saints. And in any one particular day, we're probably both. It's not like sinners sit over here, saints sit over here. It's, whoo, we are. That line runs right down the middle of each and every one of us. And we are on this journey of discipleship to sanctification together, to become living saints. I was like, there's scripture about this. Be careful. Sheeps and goats and things. I don't know. That's that's way beyond my pay grade. I promise. Okay, so stewardship. It doesn't equal, but it's all related. Stewardship, discipleship, sanctification. I'd like to think that I became a little bit more like Jesus because I worked on staff at Camp Lucon. How I grew as a Christian leader and in my, in my own sense of self and sense of God and my call. And so many people have left that place, maybe not in professional ministry, but in ministry because of how God worked in their life there. We offer ourselves as holy and living sacrifices. Okay, so last week with Sarah Crosby in the way of necessity, stepping up and responding when there's a need. Uh, And today, uh, we're going to talk about St. Francis of Assisi uh, and and the way of poverty. So even though I just said it's not just about financial stewardship, this happens to be the one week of the four when we are going to talk about (laughs) financial stewardship. So you're here now. I'm glad. You're stuck. My husband is in the video room right now. Uh, You can tell me later how many people just signed off. (laughs) I would love to know that right now. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so 
anyone, this is a pretty famous saint. Maybe you have not heard of him or maybe you have anyone. St. Francis of Assisi. Okay, he's a good, I mean, he's just, you can't not talk about him, even though I know we might be familiar with him. Okay, so he was, I I actually came across, uh, there's a a Lectio prayer app that I use pretty often, and his feast day was last week, Uh, and so in my morning prayer time, it actually led me through this story, and this is what I read uh, on that morning. He was born around the year 1181. Francis was the son of a wealthy silk merchant in the Umbrian town of Assisi in Italy, working in his father's business until he was 20 selling expensive cloths, really enjoying the high life of entertainment, Uh, rich friends, lots of entertainment, troubadours. He was kind of living large until 20. Uh, But then his life changed after he was imprisoned following a local border war. And after his release, he fell into an illness. He became disillusioned with the high life and dedicated his life to prayer and serving the poor, ministering to lepers, and rebuilding a ruined church of San Damiano. Responding to Jesus' call to leave all and follow him, Francis gathered a band of like-minded followers who took the name of Friars Minor, or the Little Brothers, for whom he drew up a simple rule of life based on the words of Jesus in the Gospels. Francis's simple faith, his passionate devotion to God and people, his humility and love for the whole of creation— have made him one of the most cherished of Christian saints in the modern world. Francis reminds us that following Jesus isn't meant to be complicated, but as T.S. Eliot put it, a condition of complete simplicity costing nothing less than everything. End quote. St. Francis, known for his compassion for everyone, including lepers, uh, including Uh, even in all of creation and animals. Um, He took on this vow of poverty and a simple life, the Franciscan order that we know of today. And I'm pretty sure the current pope right now is from the Franciscan order. No, no, he's not. He just took the name. He's Jesuit. Thank you. Darn it. Okay. He took, thank you, former Catholic people in the room. He's Jesuit, but he he specifically took, as a pope, he took this name, Pope Francis, right, after St. Francis of Assisi. Okay, so I was 50-50 there. Still a failing score, <laughs> but I was half right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. This is, it is. We are in the, this is a group effort, my friends. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear that. This is a group effort. <laughs> so you might have, uh, I don't know if you, does anyone... Um, did you see any churches last week host a blessing of the animals? Have you heard of this before? Okay. A bunch of folks did it on Sunday, October 4th. Was that? That was his feast day. The feast day in the Catholic Church when you remember this and celebrate this saint. Uh, a lot of Protestant churches have now taken on this special a blessing of the animals. Because, let's see, in 1979, Pope John Paul II actually declared him the patron saint of ecology. So he loved creation, especially animals. This is an icon of him sort of commemorating that aspect of St. Francis and his life. And so you'll see actually churches today, in honor of this, on the feast day of St. Francis, they might host a blessing of the animals, where after church you can bring your pets and your dogs and your rabbits and and have a, a blessing. Okay, good. I was waiting for someone to go, we should do that. 
You did it once. Okay, you did it once here already. You know this. Group effort. All right. I was waiting for one of you to be like, let's do it. Okay. So there is little doubt um, that Francis was inspired uh, by the story of Scripture. Son. One of the, uh, the passages that was often associated with him when you think of his story uh, comes from Mark chapter 10, and it's the story of the rich young man. In other gospels, it's the rich young ruler. And it's that story when this, this young man goes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus tells him the law, right, what's expected of him. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not murder, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This story in scripture pops up in a couple different gospels. But Francis, being a man of... uh, you know, he could have had everything, right? He could have inherited his dad's company. He could have continued selling this expensive cloth. He could have continued kind of living that high life. But challenged, maybe even inspired by this story, he chose to respond in a different way, becoming sort of disillusioned, disenfranchised with the life that he was living. And and a couple episodes that he had where he tried to express charity to someone who was begging or to someone who was in need, uh, and, and he was sort of chastised for it. He was made fun of by his friends for, for giving a, a beggar alms. And, uh, and there's kind of a famous uh, episode with his father kind of constantly at odds. You can imagine father being pretty disappointed <laughs> that his son is not fulfilling all of his expectations to take over the family business as he had hoped. I'm imagining, right? But Francis took on a vow of poverty uh, to the point of disowning his whole entire family and, and you know, just leaving his inheritance and, and everything uh, and, and living in a cave for several months and only a cloak and, and relying only on the charity of others because he sought to live this life of simplicity, to give up all that he had, all of that wealth, and live in service to the poor and the church. There's kind of a, a famous episode uh, where... Uh, He he has a vision while he's praying in this little dilapidated old ruined church. And he hears a vision of the voice of Jesus saying, Francis, Francis, rebuild my church. And he looks around and he kind of takes it literally and he decides I'm going to rebuild this church right here. And so he takes some of his dad's cloth from the business and he sells it and he gives the money to the priest there to rebuild that church. And this is kind of the episode that leads to the great like, you know, just the great debacle, I guess, because his father accuses him of theft. He says, that was not yours to sell. Uh, And he has him arrested, thrown in prison, beaten. It's his mother who frees him, and he flees to the caves to stay for several months and living with a different different priest, but ends up getting through the court system, this long legal proceeding where he finally just sort of denounces his whole family, and his father makes him give up his patrimony and and he, that's when he, he, he officially leaves. He officially leaves. And ends up later starting the Franciscan order. He sought to live a different way. Maybe inspired by this story, 
convinced to respond to this call to follow Jesus in a different way than this young man had. But I want us to be careful. If you remember, we actually looked at this passage back in the spring in our series on Lent when we talked about the seven deadly sins. That was also a fun teaching series. It's very, it was a roller coaster. <laughs> we, I feel like every week we came in and we just like, man, felt awful <laughs> about ourselves and our depravity. But then Easter came and it was great. It was good. It was good. Because there's a temptation to read this passage today and say, unless you sell all that you have and you go live in the caves and just a piece of cloth on your back, and rely only on the charity of others around you, you're not actually faithfully following Jesus. And of course, we know that that's not a universal way, literally. That's actually maybe a, a, I want to say, maybe a lazy way to only take that one interpretation and say this is, the tr- this is true for all people everywhere. Everybody here, if you're not doing this, you should feel pretty awful about yourselves. And when we talked about this last spring, I said, no, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the, the point here. This is Jesus talking to one particular person, a rich young man. And if you noticed, it said Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Jesus knew him in that moment. And you know what he saw? He saw his priorities. He saw what he loved. He saw what was in his heart and his attachment to his things. And he said, that's what stands in your way specifically, you, rich young man who is not named. (laughs) That's what you need to surrender in order to faithfully serve me because that's what has you hung up and entangled because you have great possession and you love it and you love that comfort. And so surrender that. Give it all up and follow me. Just because St. Francis resonated with that piece and chose to respond differently doesn't mean that's the universal call because the week that we brought this up in the seven deadly sins was actually the week that we talked about greed. And if you remember, I said that greed is a selfish and excessive desire. Oh, look, there's that. Okay, that's okay. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed behavioral patterns of possession such as excessive acquiring, saving, hoarding, and lavish spending. But remember, the whole point of our seven deadly sins was that we were actually talking about the vice beneath it, the heart issue. It wasn't just, you know, that it's not just the money that's bad, it's our love of money. It wasn't just that this man had a lot of possessions, but Jesus seeing him and knowing him saw his attachment to it, his obsession with it, his love for it, and that was the problem. The vice underneath this greed is avarice, excessive desire for wealth or gain, excessive love or desire for money or any possession that money can buy. It's a disordered desire for overabundance. That's the heart issue underneath it all. And that is the heart issue that Jesus was addressing with that rich young man. There's another passage uh, in scripture that I think touches on this greed that I want to reflect on with you for just a moment because I read it this past week and I found it very, very helpful for our understanding of what it might mean to follow Jesus by offering what we have as a way of surrender. That's it this week. 
Yes, for St. Francis, it was a way of poverty, but I think the core, at the heart of it, it's a way of surrender. Surrendering our attachment to things, surrendering our desire to acquire and have comforts and be self-sufficient and in control of our lives, to possess almost the most precious resource in our world today, money. Because a lot of things come with that. So there's a passage in Luke chapter 11 I want to read for us this morning. Luke 11, this is verses 37 through 41. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, if you're in a house group, you're going to be going through this passage a little bit more this week because there is a lot here, and I, I've been, you know, encouraged you all to take a few moments and read through it several times and just hear what is it that sticks out to you and that you hear in this? Because there's a lot happening. This is probably the third time, I think it's the third time in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus has been invited to dine with a Pharisee, a religious authority leader of the time. That's a big deal. I think the Pharisee was, would you mind turning this down just a little? I'm popping a lot. <laughs> it's distracting me. I'm not sure if it's distracting you. Thank you, Jason. The third time he's been invited to dine with a Pharisee. And there's already sort of maybe a point of vulnerability for even the Pharisee to invite Jesus into his home. The word on the street, the reputation he was creating for himself, the things that he was teaching. Yes, we read other places that Pharisees wanted to test Jesus or try and trap Jesus. But here, he's just invited him to share a meal. Kind of relational. But he's shocked. Pretty early, it goes sideways. Because Jesus doesn't do one of the clear ritual purity things that you're supposed to do before you dine, which is clean, right? Wash your hands, not wash before going to the table. We know that the Pharisees observed these sort of strict rules regarding ritual cleanness and, and really only ate with those who also maintained this ritual purity. That's important. So this Pharisee has already put himself out there, already sort of put himself in a vulnerable place to even dine with Jesus. And then Jesus kind of snubs him by not adhering to the same ritual purity laws that the Pharisee expected. These rituals were supposed to lead them into holiness, but they had become empty, empty practices where these leaders were only concerned with outward appearance and going through the motions of ritual. This practice that was supposed to cleanse them and prepare them and lead them into holiness had become an empty practice. And Jesus says, you are still full of wickedness and greed. Ooh. On the outside, you appear clean, but on the inside, you are still full of wickedness and greed. After this passage, he goes on to pronounce several woes over the Pharisees, accusing them of false piety, of focusing too much on the little things and neglecting vital matters. 
He accuses them of desiring to receive praise from others for rejecting God's prophets. He accuses them of knowing God's teachings, knowing the knowledge of God, but not using it to help other people. Y'all, this passage is a doozy if you're a Pharisee. Jesus lays into them, and it starts with, you fools. <laughs> you, yeah, <laughs> just Jesus. He can do that. I'm probably not. <laughs> Jesus can do that. Accusing them of a false sense of piety. When our rituals are supposed to lead us into holiness in the presence of God and they fail to do so, or they fail and become just for show, they become a false sense of piety. And here's our word of caution and warning for us today. It's about a heart issue, my friends. When it comes to our money, when it comes to our ideas of of giving and generosity, at the root of it all is a heart issue. Because on one thing, I'm not just standing up here and asking you to give out of a sense of obligation so that people can see that you give and, and celebrate you and say good job and pat you on the back. No, this is a This is a personal commitment, surrender to God kind of moment. It's not about a certain amount. It's about your heart. It's about where your attachment lies. It's about whether we have room in our hearts to follow Jesus or if we too are full of greed and wickedness. This warning of kind of not just going through the motions, but also not just keeping and hoarding everything for ourselves. So what is the cure? What is the hope in this passage? What is is the cure for this? It's verse 41. Give alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So there's sort of two ways we can hear this. Dedicate what you have to to God. Give what you have. Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness will be added to you. Right? Seek that first. Absolutely. But I wonder, too, if there's a a piece here when Jesus tells him, give what is within you as an alm. What has he just said is within them? Greed and wickedness. What if he's inviting the Pharisee to give that up? To surrender the sin and the bad and the heart issue as an alm, as an offering to God? to surrender it, to let God burn that away from us, to throw it down, the sin that so easily entangles. There's scripture there. Throw off that sin, seek forgiveness, and then you will be set free. The anecdote to this kind of greed and wickedness is almsgiving, both of our sin and of our resources and generosity. Almsgiving is the most effective anecdote to greed, to practice that surrender, to clear up the attachments of our heart, the things that we cling to that we think will bring us purpose and comfort and control when really all we've done is create our own little kingdom built on sand because we all know that in a minute, in a moment, all of that can change. Some of us have experienced that. Some of us have experienced a sense of poverty that we didn't plan for or choose for or it it was the it it was the life that we were living it was the circumstances of what we went through and we're all experiencing 
what's going on in our economy right now, and things are really, really hard, and I stand here before you as your pastor saying, I know, and I, I feel it too. We're not talking about amounts here. We're talking about our hearts, practicing generosity. You know, uh, in our teaching on greed several months ago, there were two things that greed kept us from, and it was it keeps us from acknowledging or responding to the needs of our neighbor kind of put up these blinders, we're only concerned about our own little castle, only concerned about our own little fortune, that we neglect the needs of our neighbors, we can't even see them. And it also, don't acknowledge the needs of our neighbors, but we also can't fully acknowledge our need for God. All of that can change in a moment, but what will last, what will stand, where our heart is, there our treasure will be also, our treasure that's in heaven. You know, for Matt and I, this truly has become a financial giving really is a spiritual discipline and practice for us. And it's because every single month when we talk about it, it's, it's a trust, right? It's, it's a surrender because we trust that God will provide for our every need. All that we have is God's anyways, what we've been given and for me personally, being a little confessional, it's a good practice for me to relinquish a sense of control. There's lots of anxiety that comes. Whether you have a lot of money or you have a little, there's anxiety. And when we release some of that, when we, when we give, when we practice generosity, it can free us up from some of that anxiety to trust to trust that God will provide, and it also opens us up to the needs of our neighbors. To give to a neighbor that's in need, because everyone needs help sometimes. This practice over the course of our nine years of marriage that we've been doing this together, of, of tithing, of offering a financial gift kind of first, I think has created in me a practice of, yeah, that surrender and that losing control, like, you know, loss of control, but I think also of, of helping me grow in a sense of compassion, and I hope justice as I'm more aware of the needs of my neighbor. It's a heart thing. It's a spiritual discipline because money is our most prized possession today. We need it, I know, and some of us are in a place of need. But Jesus is offering us this morning an invitation to, to check our hearts, to check our attachments, to check our anxiety, and to surrender, to experience a sense of freedom. So your invitation this morning is simple. It's, a, it's yes, to join us in the revolution of transforming lives, the revolution of God's love here in the world through a financial gift to this community of faith. And not just because we seek to keep the lights on or pay bills. That's, that's not the, the big thing that we do here. It's so that we can continue along this path of discipleship and, and continue our ministries of, of outreach where we see God show up. Like celebrate recovery. And like our children and youth where they're learning about God's love. Our mission trips and some of our mission partners that we continue to support. That in doing so, in this practice together as a unit, when we're better and stronger together, we can actually grow in this sense of compassion and mercy and responding to the needs of our neighbors.
I'm going to be offering us sort of a more uh, official financial update next week at our charge conference. And I invite you to come and stay after as we vote on that budget. Uh, finance team is meeting today to sort of approve that draft uh, that will go before you next week. And so we'll get the more official financial update next week. But today is just the simple invitation to begin praying about how might you might join with us in an offering from the heart to move to place our trust in God, trusting that it'll be multiplied here so that we continue to join the revolution of transforming lives through teaching and service. Whether that's a recurring gift, whether that's a one-time gift, whether that's increasing your gift, maybe that's your step in faith this year. You started a recurring gift monthly last year, and now you're going to step out in faith a little bit more and increase it. I don't know what the heart thing for you will be. That's between you and your family and our God. But hear that invitation to give an alm that which is within, and our whole body will be made clean. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for the ways that you are at work in our church and in our world. And I thank you, Lord, for the way I, I hope we've heard the message and a really sort of awkward topic when, it, when we come to our finances and, and maybe not really wanting everyone to know how much we make or how much we don't or how much we give or what we give to. God, only you can see our hearts and know us and love us right where we are. So allow us to hear that invitation from you and you alone this morning to respond in generosity, to respond in a moment of surrender, not as an empty ritual that helps us seek praise from other people or from, from their church leaders, but as an offering from the heart that's simply for you, knowing that together we join you in building this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And let it be so that where our hearts are, there our treasure will be also. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.